0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Words on Whiskey. That's hard to believe that we're running four months, but uh, that's the reality, which is great. And uh, thank you very much for your support and uh, all your comments about the about the shows to date. And uh, as always, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off with the news and uh, we'll just kick off with some new releases uh, first. And we uh, the first release of the, the week is uh, a hide release from Hibernia Spirits. It's uh, hide number nine. It's a single malt finished in Tony Port casks. And it's an eight-year-old finished for nine months in the Tony Port casks from Portugal. And it's retailing for 49, or no, 50 euro. Uh, available from Irish malts and Celtic whiskey shop and uh, bottled at 43% ABV and non-chinned up-filtered. So that might be an interesting one to sip alongside maybe the Liberator, which is another tawny port finish. And then Intrepid Spirits have released a 17-year-old single malt finished in Cadillac French oak casks. Uh, 17 years old, uh, 170 euro, it's their third in the series of, of um, the Legacy Reserves. This one's bottled at a 46% ABV, again, non chill filtered, and limited to 1,000 bottles. So that's a pretty rare one. And then uh, the last one that's been released is the Lambay Whiskey Malt, Malt Irish Whiskey. And, and this is unusual in, I think it must be the first, that is a, it is a blend of at least malts from three different distilleries. Some of them are double distilled, some are triple distilled. It's bottled at 43% and retails at €50. If you're a fan of cognac finishes, then this is definitely one to try and a very, very good price. Uh, Initially, that's going to be available from irishmaltz.com before it finds its way into the marketplace and specialist off licenses. And then I suppose the the sad news really from Dublin's point of view is that the pubs that were expected to be opening uh, this week uh, or next week on the 21st look like they're not going to go ahead uh, sadly. Uh, So uh, what can you say about that? The the wet pubs will not be opening in Dublin. Uh, The rest of the country I think is okay. Hopefully things will improve. I know there's been a rapid increase in the um, number of casualties so uh our sympathies are with the, the the pub people and uh hopefully we'll see better days soon so in terms of news th- that's about it uh this week um we're delighted to be joined by I suppose a veteran of the Irish drinks industry uh so I'll just bring him in now and uh welcome Pat Rigney Good evening Hi,
1: Pat Sergio. welcome Sergio, how are you thank you very much
0: I'm very well. How are you?
1: I'm well, pretty good, thank. All, all things considered.
0: All <laughs> things you. considered. I know you had a long day today, so we, we won't overburden you today. But I was going to introduce you as a, a veteran in the drinks industry. Um, and of course, your latest project, uh, and I think the one that's a passion project for you, uh, and certainly hugely beneficial to the, to the Leitrim community. Uh, Andrum Shambo is the, the Shed Distillery, which I know opened last week. Uh, how's that been going and, and how have you been able to cope with the COVID restrictions?
1: Well, we opened on, on the 10th to the public. So we had hoped to open back in June. And, yes. Um, due to COVID, uh, the building was delayed. So we, we managed to open on the 10th. We're, we're uh, what, what you call false COVID approved. So from a, a visitor point of view, uh, there's some comfort in that. Um, yeah. So far, there's been, you know, it's been. Very well received locally. There's a very nice uh, trickle of uh, folks coming in to go on the tours, visit the shop, uh, visit the cafe, the Jackalope Cafe. So very early days, but so far, I think we couldn't we couldn't be happier.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to commend you on firstly deciding to go ahead with it and secondly managing to actually open so, so promptly, really considering everything that's uh, all the restrictions that are in place. So... Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to coming down and having a look and from the photos I've seen it looks amazing resourced for the for the county and uh, for Connacht as well so congratulations on that
1: thanks very much Sergio yeah. so listen, it, was, it was a huge team effort um, you know obviously a big vision for it to you know to to really be a destination and to you know make, make a statement about how committed we are to our brand to the community yeah. Um so We did go ahead. It's very encouraging. We just have to get through the next six to 12 months of COVID and um, come out the other side. Yeah.
0: Well, look, we'll come back and and talk about the Shad Distillery uh, later on. But I I wanted to go back because you you are in the industry, in the drinks industry for 30 years, and you played a a very prominent role in in the drinks industry. Um, But how did you get involved firstly? So I I know you studied in UCD and you did commerce and... um, from there, how did it end up? I mean, you're a Dublin man. A yeah. Guru group in Dublin. You went to Sanford. Grew,
1: went to Sanford Park. And listen, it's a complete act of God, like a lot of things in, in my life. Um, I just knew I didn't want to be an accountant. So right. I ended up doing the BCom And marketing, you know, back in the early 80s was a very kind of general um, area. Very few yeah. people knew anything yeah. about it. And there was a job in Clonmel in Grants of Ireland, Sharings when I was coming out of college, and I, I got the job as a graduate trainee, and I was very fortunate to work there for uh, a, a number of years, where they they literally trained me in the basics of marketing. On you know, that was back in the days of Harvey's Whistle Cream, right? And they were not like Harland's Irish Cream at that time around the world. They had Bulmers, they had Baby and they had all sorts of interesting brands. And then yeah. very soon after that I went to Gilby's. And Gilby's back then, you know, Gilby's and Bailey's were interlinked. So Gilby's was the domestic operation. And yes. They were a very, very substantial organization at that time. And again, yeah. you know, I went into brand management and worked on some of the key brands. And then I went back down to, to, to Clonmel and I worked on the export side with Carolyn's Irish Cream. Okay. that point, they they purchased Irish Mist. So I got an international perspective particularly on, on a brand that was, um, Carolyn's was very much what I would call a push brand at that time. You know, you, you really had to go out and make the thing happen. Um, yeah. if it wasn't on the shelf at the right price and you weren't doing the basics, you didn't get the business. So I learned the, the real basics of the business. Yeah, And then I went back to, to, to Gilby's and on to Bailey's on the international side for 10 years. And that was...
0: As a director, yes.
1: Well, initially starting off at a relatively, you know, junior level and then very quickly moving along. um, I became a director of the company. But I was looking after about half the business uh, when I left. And uh, during that time, I created Sheridan's when I was there. That was a very exciting time because Bailey's in those days, the the complete business was managed in Ireland. So the CEO managed the production, the sales, the marketing, the finance. It was completely integrated. And so we really had our hand on the pulse. I mean, that's something
0: very rare these days, isn't it? To see, you know, sales, production and marketing all within the one house.
1: It is rare. And I suppose at the Shed Distillery, although we're very modest in size, I think it gives us a huge advantage uh, that we see everything that's happening. You know, we're, you know, really connected, you know, between the consumer and the production end. Whereas, you know, the larger companies the way they've developed, um, you know, they, they kind of split the production up and the marketing up and so on. And it's it's harder to manage the whole thing, sure. in my opinion.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I mean, you spent 10 years in Baileys, and Baileys, obviously, for a period was certainly, was it the number one selling liqueur in the world?
1: It certainly was. And I believe it may still be the number one selling liqueur.
0: I know um, kind of sways between that and uh, Tia Maria, is it?
1: Uh, well, they'd be well ahead of Team Maria. It might be Yake yeah. or something like that. And, right. Oh, I think they're still number one. Wow. But it was yeah, it was a very exciting time. I mean, yeah. I described them as the Google heads of those at the time they were they were ahead of their time in yes. many ways. Yeah. And you know, what started off very much as an innovation in terms of liquid, Yes. Yeah. you know, very quickly became transformed into an international brand where, you know, the you know, at consumer level, you know, building up loyalty and driving that forward um yeah. so that it would be sustained over many years. So, mm-hmm. you know, the guys did an amazing job. And uh
0: you know well I mean I you explored... brought out you brought out Sheridan's out of there as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. And what was interesting at the time, you were allowed to develop a, a new brand idea within that mm-hmm. company. Um assuming it was a Reasonably good one, and to, to see it through. So that's where Sheridans came from. So that was a, was kind of a mad, mad experience. But was well, that
0: was a three hundred thousand bottles a year product, wasn't it? Oh, I think th-
1: oh. I think they got it up to about a quarter of a million cases. So
0: all right, okay.
1: So, well, I don't know yeah. where it is today, but you know, the latest depends. I've
0: seen is three hundred thousand. But yeah, I didn't realise it not, was.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, interesting. But it was, it was. Uh, Anyway, it was. A, it, I learned a lot from that.
0: Yeah, actually, interesting. enough, in the next issue, we have a piece um, about Baileys because Baileys, you know, it did have an impact on the on the whiskey industry, and certainly used a lot of the whiskey that was being produced at the time.
1: It did, and when Baileys came to the market, I mean, again, the story, I suppose, it gets lost because it's it's a while ago. But you know, women weren't really consuming a huge amount of alcohol when Baileys yeah. came to the market, so initially became. A tip of primarily for for females um, yeah. who wanted to enter the market, um, and then it always became much broader than that. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, and obviously on the whiskey side, in the early days initially, um, obviously the whiskey going into bays was a very significant part of the brand. It still is yeah. today.
0: I think even the dairy that was being used as well was a significant part, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and yes, the dairy, the cream, all the various ingredients. I mean, everything was done at a very, very high level, Um, great quality, great team, but very much focused on delivering the consumer something very indulgent, something very special. And that would be a successful brand on a global basis. And they've managed to do that and they've managed to sustain that over the years, which is a tribute to to everybody involved uh, over the period.
0: There is a book that I've been uh, pointed in the direction of called... uh that shit will never sell. I don't know if you've come yeah. across it uh, based, yeah. based on, based um, on the Bailey's uh, sales.
1: So yes. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, I've heard a bit about that book, but I'm, um, I, I'm I, I, I haven't read the book myself, but um, what I would say is the people who, who really created that brand and really drove that brand were based in Dublin. They were, you know, David Dant, Ned Sullivan, um keith mccarthy morrow paul pratt and all these amazing guys that i had the privilege to work with yeah. they because you know at the, at the beginning this was just a product it's just yeah. you know cream and whiskey that came together but they actually transformed it into a brand over many years yeah and they were um, amazing people and they they you know it was like riding on a runaway stallion and they managed to get it into shape and they, you know, and going the right direction. And um, so it's a testament to them. I, I think the book goes in a different direction, but um, yeah. it's those people I certainly want to mention this evening because they're the guys who made it happen.
0: Great, great. Tell me, you you then went on to create Baroo Vodka. That was I obviously did. outside of the, was that inside or outside of the Gilbys? No,
1: outside. No, so, uh, God, around 1998, 99, I can't remember um, the exact time um Azure was formed which was you know before that uh, Baileys was part of Grand Met yeah um Azure was formed um and I left with a good friend of mine um David Phelan, who was also yes. in Bailey so we left to set up Baru mm-hmm. uh with with a joint venture with Carberry um co-op down in West Cork and yeah. uh, terra which was a bottling company and Patsy McKevitt up in county cabin and uh yeah we we created that brand from nothing and developed that business over a period of years very challenging yeah. i'll tell sure. you we were probably a bit naive when we got into it but you know we but we, we got there in the end and we, we made a success of it
0: excellent i meant to ask you about brands because obviously brands is a very big part of the drinks industry and you've been at the heart of some very successful brands and obviously Gunpowder gin is one of those as well. For you uh, to explain to us, who might not be so knowledgeable about brand, what defines a brand?
1: It's, it's a great great question. I mean, it's, sometimes I find it hard to explain. Mm. Um, you know, I'll I give you a good example. Um, you know, we could do some blind research today. Um, so we would take maybe a bottle of St. Brendan's cream and a bottle of Bailey's. And we can put it into various glasses and sample it. And, you know, it's possible that 50, 60% of the people might say, well, you know what, I prefer the St. Brendan's. Yeah. Um, But yet St. Brendan's would be a relatively small brand in size compared to Bailey's. And the difference is the brand and it's the relationship that the consumer has with that particular uh, product. So it's really really delivering at an emotional level as well as a functional level and getting your story across and doing that in a way that engages with consumers. Sometimes, you you know, it just works. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: With Shamba Gunpowder, Irish Gin, you know, I pinch myself every day. There's a little bit of magic in that brand and it just works. You know, I've obviously developed other brands and they haven't been as successful. So um, Bailey's just works. And, um, but it's, it's you know, but you need a little bit of luck. You need a bit of magic. And you need a little bit of an X factor, um, and it's it's no different than watching the, actually the X Factor, you know, which right. is the one that's actually going to rise to the top, and that yeah. people connect with at a very, very visceral and very instant level, um, and that's that's the beginning of a brand. Every decision we make in life, just about, there's an emotional dimension to the decision, yeah, even even if it's at a, at a very low level, and that's what finds a brand
0: yeah from 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 the outset did you know you were working with winning brands i mean did you know sheridan's bailey's you know yeah. short, the gin were going to be no. successful no, did I, you have an inkling or
1: well I, I, now when i was involved in bailey's bailey's was well up and running i, I yes. wasn't around at the, at the early days i was i was lucky to join a, a winning brand and learn from them the same yeah. with Carlin's, it was well, well up and running. Mm-hmm. Um but what I learned in those days, um there was brands like Malibu that came around and there was many other brands that came into the stable. And it was some guy in Africa or in South Africa or in you know in uh, in Massachusetts or Connecticut or something created a brand and the next thing it works. And yes. you, you found out very quickly that, you know just going through the process of creating a brand and the tradi- you know, the way things are done to a large extent now, it doesn't always work. And some of the great brands that you see today were, were semi-accidents. Yeah. Um, and I try and keep that level of creativity and f- freedom and everything that we do so that we don't overanalyze it um, yeah. and, and follow our instinct. And I'm big into following my instinct and good yeah. karma around the brand. And does it feel right? Does it connect with people?
0: Yeah, is that something that um, you took with you after leaving Bailey's? Yes. You know, what are the yes. what are the skills that you think you you took from Bailey's and have applied it since?
1: Gosh, I, I suppose I I learned so much in Bailey's because it was very old fashioned when uh, when I when I started working there. People think that this is crazy, but you know, you know, your shoes had to be polished every day. Uh, your hair had to be tidy, your car had to be clean. It was run like a military, you know, it was very old school, very old fashioned. When you went to the market, so let's say I I was looking after the United, which I was, I was looking after the US, you never went to visit your importer without going and spending three or four days in the field to find out what was really going on, talking to retailers, putting your, your nose and your head into the trough and seeing what was going on. And I learned very, very quickly. That I could learn so much by just talking to people, uh, being connected with the front end of the market, particularly with salespeople, particularly with retailers. I learned to respect them. Um, And then when I go to the meetings, I'll often find that I actually knew more about what was going on than the reporter, because they were so far removed from reality. And it often created tension. And to this day, I spend a huge amount of time in the field, listening, talking, and, you know, as marketeers, I often say, you know, we are the servant of the salespeople and Mr. Retailer. That's what we're yeah. there to support them. We're not there to dictate. Um, and, you know, that has served, I think, me pretty well over the years.
0: Yeah, you're very much a follow your gut man, though, as well. You follow your instinct. I mean, I've, I've heard you speak before at certain tastes, uh, various tastings, and you do yeah. kind of follow your instinct. So obviously... You've honed in a, a skill there to identify what it is that the customer wants.
1: Yeah, I'm following my instinct, having having I suppose spoken and asked a lot of questions and listened to be you know to to the customer. I also have a very very strong team that yeah. and I, within that team I'd have you know a group that I really trust and you know we will kick it around and together and then eventually somebody has to make a decision on it and ultimately it's my call, i suppose yeah um but i do try and follow my instinct having listened to everything about you know and, and it might be that listen we we've heard what everybody's had to say you know the customer says the bottle should be you know red with green spots and we say well actually you're not going to get that we're going to give it to you a different way but we've mm-hmm. listened to you and we just follow our gut and, yeah. and off, off we go But I have a very, very strong team, and they are very, from very disparate backgrounds. Um, You know, I have uh, you know marine biologist. I have who's in marketing. I have uh, you know a kind of a tech guy who's who looks after some of our key markets. People from hospitality, uh, looking after certain parts of the business. So I have a real mixture of talent. These guys are amazing, Um, and and I depend on them for a yeah. lot of uh, the decisions we make.
0: So so when you're you know, and I'm trying to delve into here your, your business acumen, I suppose, what, what are the what are the prerequisites or the, the absolute prerequisites for even having a chance of success within the drinks industry?
1: God. Uh, well I think some you need to have a, a brand that is going to connect with the consumer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you want your brand to do the heavy lifting for you, um, but it must also connect with Mr. Retailer because he's a gatekeeper uh, yeah. and Mr. Bar Owner, you know, to get to the consumer. So you really need something that if you're starting from zero, you really need to have something that's a bit of a wow, that's going to get, you know, that's going to get a connect, you know, going to get a reaction. Obviously, the quality has to be top notch. It has to have a story authenticity now is becoming a huge thing which uh you know is it real is it a fake are you exaggerating all that kind of stuff particularly in the whiskey area is becoming very important um so there's no magic bullet i don't get it right all the time um you know and we get it right some of the time thank god um but it's also just being honest all the time you know and you know, perfection is the enemy. Um, so being, being prepared to live with uncertainty and, and imperfection and to the point that you get it to where it needs to be. So, yeah. you know, the first time you, you put it out, it may not be perfect, but you've got to listen, you've got to learn, and uh, you've got to make changes. And so
0: obviously timing is a, is a critical component. Then obviously if you're waiting for 100% perfection, yeah. you may never get out there.
1: You may never get out there, yeah. And sometimes you just have to jump. And if it's good enough, then you can make the improvements. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the original Bailey's and uh, I don't know where the pack the the pack was dreadful. Um, <laughs> the bottle the bottle, believe it or not, was the original red breast whiskey bottle because it wasn't more yes. the mold. And um, you know, but over time they developed that into the brand that it is today. I'd say it's probably gone through about twenty to twenty five brand yeah. enhancements, maybe more, maybe thirty. Um yeah. so you know, if they waited for perfection, they would never have gone anywhere.
0: Yeah. I meant to ask actually while you were in while you were working for Bailey's uh, and Gilby's, they did bring out a whiskey, which has become a bit of a collector's item actually because you know it didn't really see a full release. Um what was the story with that what happened and it didn't actually join the mainstream. Yeah,
1: that's a great great it was there around the time I was there. So David Feele my good buddy he developed this project within the company and I think at the time the whiskey was, was you know was finished in a cask that had contained Baileys, yeah. so it was a it was a tremendous uh, whiskey, but I think there was some issue around the technical file, or there was no technical file at the time, but probably with the Whiskey Association or Scottish Whiskey Association at that time, so yeah. it got canned. Right. Um, so that's what happened to it. Um, so it never went any further.
0: That was um, as far it, as I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you do see it prop up in auctions or you see it in the odd bar yeah. sitting up there. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't know what it is as a whiskey. I've never got to try it, but uh, it's always one yeah. that people do talk about, actually. Yeah. You know, as,
1: yeah.
0: You know with the weight problem. of Baileys behind it, you would have thought, you know, that's going to be a winner. It's a cool idea, even today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and probably today you might be able to get away with it, with the different cast yeah. yeah,
1: you might be able to. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not... The, the full expert on what you can do with something like that. I, I don't know, but it would be, yeah. it would be interesting. Yeah. It would be, if it was possible to do it, it could be very interesting.
0: And another really important part of, of any distillery and any whiskey company reaching success is distribution. Yes. And, and you did you did set up with John Dillon, you set up the Dalcassian, who are, yes. are probably one of the very largest distributors in Ireland of, of wine and spirits. And that's been hugely successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, we set that up in 2005. John is somebody I respect very much. He, he came from Diageo. I worked with him in Gilby's. He runs that operation on a day-to-day basis. It, initially, that was very much focused in the on-premise hotels, restaurants. Uh, um, and even up to the beginning of COVID, it was very much in that space. But it's since COVID, we've pivoted the business into retail. Sure. So yeah, we have a wonderful array of brands. We represent You know, on the, on the Irish whiskey, obviously, all the shed brands, uh, the Trump Shampoo, single pot still. But we also represent the Walsh brands. Um, we represent Nika, whiskey from, from Japan, uh, Diplomatico rum, um, and some really excellent wines and spirits. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good business, tough business. I'll be honest.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: d- doing. Well, that well, I did see of
0: turnover part. of thirteen million last year. was it something big? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah obviously, really, yeah. this year will be.
1: It'll be lower yeah yeah (laughs) no doubt no doubt yeah but it's um, it's a tough it's a tough area but listen you know we're very gritty we have a great team at Alcassian we're (laughs) very resourceful and um we we plan to be here the other side of COVID
0: excellent what do you think is going to mean the other side of COVID what's going to bring it about Uh, is it going to just fizzle out or is it we're waiting for a vaccine are we just looking for people to accept that this is something that we have to live with. How do you see that playing out?
1: God, you know, every, I, you know, every day I change my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I, I personally am putting my, my store in, in the vaccine. And, yeah. You know, once the vaccine becomes available and hopefully they will crack it. Yeah. Um, I think that will be a game changer. So, you know, the vaccines to me is the key. Otherwise this could, could go on for quite some time. Yeah. So I'm hoping that a vaccine in the next six to 12, you know, nine months will be getting out there and that, that'll take the edge of it. Plus, you know, they're learning how to treat it better. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, horrible. it's pretty
0: daunting, but hopefully look, hopefully we'll, we'll see the other side of it soon enough. Um, 2013, you made a trip to Drumshambo, yeah, uh, County Limerick. What obviously there was a, a prelude to that, and you, you had decided that you wanted to produce something, uh, enter the whiskey business primarily, I suppose, first, was it? And then, uh, yeah. what was the, the process there?
1: Well, the process was I had, gosh, I had looked. For other possible locations in and around the Greater Dublin area, and everyone that I looked at, you know, we were we were at the end of the crash. Yeah. And I guess there the, just with every property, there was some problem with NAMA or something else, you know, in terms of um, the planning and the whole thing was just very complicated. Um, my parents had met him from Shambo, I knew about it. Um, and John Dillon had mentioned to me that there was an opportunity to go up there and have a look at, at the food hub, which is a social enterprise where they had lots of space. So anyway, I, I went up and I met these fo- the local folk on the, at the 12th of December, 2013, which was at the end of the crash. And at yeah. that time, I don't know if anybody remembers, like it was, we were all worn out with the whole thing. Yeah. And the place wasn't in great shape. Um, but was that an old
0: I, jam factory? Laird Jam. Yeah.
1: Old, yeah. The old Laird's Jam Factory. Um, but the people I met were incredible. I met, the, you know, the local community, the local county manager, the local councillors, they all showed up and within 24 hours, I said, guys, I'll come, we'll do it. Um, I asked them a number of questions in terms of support and they, they just couldn't have been more helpful. And to this day, they have been with us every step of the way in terms of supporting us and helping us overcome obstacles as yeah. there are always obstacles. And... Mm-hmm. Um, And the reward for them is that we're committed to Leitrim and Shambo for years and years and years. Um, And uh, we're employing now close to 50 people. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. For a a community that was pretty ravaged by the downturn.
1: Pretty ravaged, yes. I mean, they'd lost a lot of jobs. Um, And the people that we employed, many of them hadn't worked for, which was interesting, hadn't worked for up to eight, nine years. And in fact... Several, sorry, some hadn't worked at all. Yeah. Um, And one by one, we brought them in initially under the job bridge scheme, trained them and bit by bit, they have proved to be tremendous uh, contributors to the business, highly skilled, highly motivated, you know, very committed. Um, And they, they're the reason that we're successful.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. You've been very generous in your, in your praise for the, your fellow workers and your staff uh, and the community of, of Leitrim, and, you know, they've made you ambassador of Leitrim, is it? What was the award they gave you?
1: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, I'm now an official ambassador. I have a big uh, big plaque. So excellent. if anybody is interested in locating to Leitrim their business mm-hmm. or want to go there, they, they have my number and they call me. Yeah, <laughs> so, excellent. No, it's good fun, though. I'm, I'm delighted to represent Leitrim.
0: Excellent. And what was the process where you actually decided, I want to set up a distillery? Firstly, why? I mean, you have a very successful business. You have some other business ventures, in, and we talked about those uh, briefly. But, you know, w- what was the thought process for saying, I, I want to create a, a, a distillery in my own whiskey?
1: Well, I felt, it, I suppose, I was, I was getting to the point that I felt if I wanted to create something really special, you know, I couldn't really do what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it without actually producing it myself yeah. so um so that was kind of the motivation and then a lot of acts of god in terms of meeting you know volker dietrich on the equipment in uh, the Bodensee sea in south germany by accident you know so there's a lot of accidental uh meetings along the way that that gave me the confidence to go for it and yeah. to invest um and you know, again, we are talking about the brand thing earlier, not knowing what the outcome might be. You know, yeah. we started distilling on the 21st of December 2014. I had no idea what the brand would look like. I had no idea what Tremshamba Gunpowder would look like at that stage. But we, we'd start and I'd work it out. I'd work it out later. Um, it's, you know, I can remember doing business plans for Enterprise Ireland, not having a clue how yeah. I was going to pay them back. Um, but the business plan looked pretty good. Um, and I did pay them back. So, I mean, that's the way I've I've operated. Um, but I had the, the belief, I suppose, of myself and the guys that we'd find a way and we would get there. But, you know, I didn't have all the answers up front.
0: Yeah. Um, have you always been a risk taker? Has it always been an entrepreneurial spirit? Was it a family uh, thing? or?
1: Well, Yes, it, it is isn't the family. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose... I'm used to dealing with uncertainty. I'm probably better at dealing with it now than I was mm-hmm. in the beginning. It doesn't suit everybody. It is, it is scary at times, um, you know. And you will be, you will always have the curveballs and the, that hit you and and so on. Um, but it does motivate you to, you know, get off your ass. I
0: well, necessity is a, a great motivator, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and so. uh, certainly. That, that you know fear, fear fear is a great motivator
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. but you <laughs> started a, you started the business with a, a enterprise Ireland funding of two hundred and seventy five thousand is that right?
1: yeah yes and, I put and then in, was uh, there
0: more to be matched and more to be raised I, and yeah, private investors?
1: In no I I mean this is an incredible story no i I put in a million of uh, family money and my own money and that was where yeah. we started. yeah, yeah. I, I went out looking for money at the time and I got refused by everybody. I mean, everybody, and I had a pretty good track record and, uh, but you know, come back Pat when you've made some sales and come back when you've, you know, you've, the all, you know, and then what I realized is the seed capital in Ireland was for alcohol, and for food and drinks was, there was no seed capital. They were, they were happy enough to put money into technology at that time, but they were not happy to put it into my, my business. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I would like to go back. And personally meet them all and thank them for turning me down because they don't own any of the company. And our company yeah. is quite successful. Had they come in, um, it might have been quite different. So one of the reasons, I guess, that we've been quite successful is that I don't have to look over my shoulder all the yeah. time dealing with investors because yeah. we don't have any investors.
0: You're um, 90% owner of the company, is it? Or 100%? Yes.
1: Well, 90% and Dal Cassian owns 10 of which I own. Okay. So yeah so it's uh yeah that's that's it uh-huh. um now it does mean that obviously you carry the can um sure but what it also means you can move quickly and um you know my reporting to shareholders is quite limited because i'm the shareholder
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: excellent uh, you
0: know yeah it's nice not to have a boss
1: <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean obviously i i can't afford to screw up um but it's um it, 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 it means we can move quickly and speedily and um, and I think it's been a big part of our success yeah. um, that, that I'm able to do that
0: so you laid down your first whiskey 2014 December 21st yes. and uh, was was gin always in your initial plan
1: yes it was and we actually put the gin still in from day one um, right so it was in and it was a multi-purpose um distillery from from the very first day and in fact we've had uh, two just two folks two companies one from Norway one from Japan who've um, been over and have pretty much replicated some of the the, the way we've gone about things so yeah um, we, we started to distill whiskey um, and um, and very soon then we started to, to look at gin um, but whiskey was the first the first thing we uh-huh,
0: and this is what I have I actually have your sample from the first cask here oh, the one bottle of forty six percent i think this one it was yes. but the one released before christmas so it's fantastic whiskey it was a great first release what's your vision going forward in terms of what you're going to be producing whiskey wise because this is unusual in itself in that it's finished in all but there's an element of oats in it as well.
1: Yeah I mean we this, this uh the, the term shambo single pot still is well first of all single pot still is our focus um hmm. I love single pot still, I am also a huge fan of what Irish distillers have done with, uh, with their brands um, and Redbreast and, and so on, which is absolutely world-class. So, so pot still is our focus, we, we distilled with oats, it's triple distilled, um, we, um, we bring it in and, and lay it down in bourbon once and also in Oloroso and then blend yeah. after. It's about five years. What we found is that single pot still really needs to, to go toward, needs to be around the five years to work. Yeah. Um, it needs the extra time. Whereas single malt maybe maybe four, four and a half years. Yeah. But we we will um, be looking at special expressions, you know, further down the line. You know, We're looking at Pinot Noir. We're looking at Marsala. We're looking at Acacia. We're looking at all, other things as well. We're also yeah. looking at... Um, some some work around the rye area and and we we'll also have some limited amount of single malt so we're, right but it's all very much about creating world-class uh whiskey and every drop of what we will sell will come from our distillery so we won't be
0: yeah you, you haven't them. sourced any whiskey at all it's all been no. your own stock and uh, every and every actually lot. you know it it drinks far older than a four five-year-old this particular whiskey it's it's fantastic it really is
1: thank you and, you know, hats off to Brian Taft, you know. Yes. Our head and, you know, he's been a pleasure to work with. He came from the United States. He'd worked in Dingle. He'd worked, um, worked in, in, you know, in a number of distilleries and so on. But he has been, he has been the hero in all of this. And we work really work closely together. Yeah. And with his team and with great equipment. And, you know, and he is never under pressure to, to rush it. Um, yeah. You know, I've all. You know, it's all about the quality and and just giving it a little more time. Um, also, in the early days, just to mention, and I know this sounds a bit strange, but we we invited Irish sitters to come up and visit us. So David Quinn and um, Brian Nation came up, and we asked them to kick the tires. This was probably about eighteen months into it, and they came yeah. up and they were they were very gracious, and they did kick the tires, and they gave us some tips. Um, yeah. And uh, so we opened up at that very early stage. And that was very, that gave us a lot of confidence that we were on the right track.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it was nice in the sense that you weren't rushed to have to release this particular whiskey early. And I think it's benefited from the fact that it it hasn't. But yes, a lot of that comes down to the success uh, that you've had with the gunpowder gin. And for anybody on the planet that hasn't seen the gunpowder gin, there's not many. You know, um, it's a fantastic bottle and a, a great success. And I think last year you shipped over a million bottles, was
1: it? Yeah, they're, they're about So it's it's a very it's very important to us, and um, we ship all over the world. Um, it's a very competitive business, and you know when you're the brand has done well, thank God, but yeah. it's it's not for the faint hearted because he, even today, you know, if we're introducing it, the first reaction from a Mr. Retailer. Oh my God! Not another gin pack. You know, can you, can you take something else out of the bag? So, it's a very tough market, um, but we're 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 punching above our weight. Um, but we're not complacent, and we need to we need to stay on it and make sure that we look after something that's very precious.
0: Yeah. Like my last count, there were over seventy Irish gins on the market. Yeah. You know, sure. All all have come out in a very short period of time. And maybe there's three that are predominant. I mean, there's your, there's yourselves, there's the Jawbox, and there's the Short Cross gin. And I, I think you're way ahead of, of the others. Uh, yeah,
1: and there's Dingle, of course. And, and of course, the Dingle, Dingle
0: gin, gin as well, yeah.
1: Like, you know, I was in a, in a before all this lockdown, I was in a s- store in uh, Italy near Milan. I need 650 gins. Wow. You know what I'm going? Wow. Oh, my God. And, you know, we're just, you know, one and we're, yeah. we're, we're doing okay. Yeah. We're pulling, um, you know, and everywhere you go, there's different ones. So, you, you know, you go to New York, they've got the local ones and they've got the international ones. And you go to California, it's the same and the same and yeah. same with France and everywhere. So um, it's a tough, tough business, but it's, uh, yeah, we're doing okay.
0: Yeah. What is it about this that's actually captured the, the drinker's imagination, if you like? Because... Obviously, I mean, the bottle color uh, and the shape and so forth, completely unique. Um, yeah. So the branding is unique in it. It's groundbreaking. It stands out on the shelf. But obviously it has to have that quality, and it does have that quality. But what is the whole thing, the whole attraction that people have kind of resonated but, with?
1: You know, I mean, sometimes I ask myself because I can't work. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'd known him, I would have done it a lot earlier. Um, yeah. I think, I think you know, there's a bit of magic in the brand, the story, the the, the liquid is is really outstanding. Um, obviously, the presentation, um, and it just seems to capture the imagination. And once people try it, they, they love it. And sometimes, it just works. Yeah. and um, you know, I, I I find it hard to explain sometimes. Uh, obviously, we there's certain parts of the brand that are we know are very important um yeah. but it just has a bit of magic a bit of x-factor and people have taken to it and all sorts of folks you know from all age groups and all backgrounds you yeah. know that's one of the most gratifying things um, in ireland one of the things that's very important and that we see is the pride that irish people have in the brand um which we're very chuffed with so Irish people have huge pride in their, their big brands. They, they have huge pride in Guinness and yeah. ladies and Jemison and Tullamore and many of the other brands. But in this brand, they have a lot of pride and that's maybe that's just something that um, yeah, I can't explain it.
0: Is it a prerequisite for international success that your brand is strong at home and genuine?
1: I think being strong at home is a big help, very important. I've been making this case to the politicians in relation to the smaller distilleries, particularly in my role as chair of the Irish Spirits Association, yeah. which, uh, which I have at the moment. You know, for all these emerging distilleries um, and breweries, and they need to have a strong home base. or certainly get you know, you know, get 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 a degree of support um, in Ireland in order that you know they can um, when they go overseas to. Uh, to tell people about their brand, they're going to be asked, well, how's it doing in Ireland? Yeah. Oh, well, in Ireland, you know, they want to put up these terrible labels on my brand, and, you know, the excise tax is the highest in Europe, and it's a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's not going to do, do you any good. Um, so having a strong home base is certainly helpful. Yes, very important. And you will be asked. Yeah. Um, it's probably the first question will be asked by Mr. Importer in Belgium or it wherever, how's it or wherever, how doing in Ireland.
0: Yeah. So you're in your last count. I saw you're in over 60 markets, uh, worldwide. Um, and one of the philosophies that you do, Paul, is you tend to work with smaller family run distributors. Uh, what's the thought process behind that? Pat?
1: Well, that's probably more a practical thing, Sergio, in the sense that the multinationals, um, you know, we, they, they tend to sell the brands that they own or they produce. So we end up with, working with private family-owned businesses Um, and it's worked a treat Um, so there's a second and third tier of companies around the world that in various markets which are owned by you know families maybe many of them intergenerational and um, you know they're very very strong in many of these markets and and you build up very close relationships with them and um, I love working with them there
0: you see a comment from Matt Pibb there from Shambo's his biggest selling gin in France. So.
1: All oh, right. Sorry, somebody's saying they can't hear me. Sorry. Can't see. If you can
0: increase the volume a little bit, Pat, actually.
1: Sorry, uh, sorry about that, guys, if that's the case. Hold on.
0: I've got can my headphones on so I can hear fine. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Yeah.
1: Just putting this up a tiny bit more. Is that better, guys? Sorry about that.
0: I think that's a bit better. Yeah. No, that's great. So, uh, you know, it seems to be certainly recognized abroad as well, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah, recognized abroad, but a lot of sweat and tears, you know, and a lot more to do to to hold our position.
0: Yeah. Your, Your key markets at the moment, I presume America must be one of the biggest ones for you. U.S. is
1: very important to us, yes. And U.S. is um, just saw some Nielsen and results, and you know, in the U.S. we're 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 playing at, at a high level. And yeah. God, you know, we're up with the, the botanist and aviator and uh, some of these other brands. So, you know, we're we're not as big as them, but we're we're, we're in that territory. Yeah, uh, we're doing. You know, the UK is important. Um, you know, number of European markets are very important to us. Ireland, travel retail was important and hopefully will be important again yeah um but we have a nice spread so we're not dependent on one market you know we have a nice yeah. mix um which means i can sleep easier at night time so if something goes if something was to go wrong in a market it won't put us out of business
0: yeah there's another comment there from shamini in uh, norway saying that uh, it really oh, stood you. out as well so you know, we've got a very international audience here today, which is without. If anybody has any questions that they'd like to pose to to Pat, please uh, put them in the comments and we'll we'll put them to Pat. Um, well, let me see.
1: You can see I can't see anything here, but I'm sure no, I can't uh,
0: can't read one there. but um okay, so you you've built up the success with Drumshambo. you you have sixty international markets. obviously, you're looking to to new markets. What do you see those new markets being?
1: Well, I, I'll be honest with you. A lot of the markets that we're that we're in, uh, we we need to grow them. I mean, they're they're the, they're the key markets. You know, the US is obviously very important. Canada, uh, South Africa, UK, France, Germany. So some of them we've only entered recently, but we have a long way to go to get to where we we believe we can we can be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Eastern Europe is very exciting. Asia is exciting. The travel mm. restrictions are obviously a problem for us all at the moment. Um, there's only so much you can do uh, from a Zoom call, but um, there's a lot. There's a lot more. I think we can do in the markets that we're in.
0: So obviously, your your travel has been hugely curtailed, and I, and I get the impression that most of your business you like to do business face to face.
1: As much as we can, yeah, we like to be out in the field with our customers, and we like to you know. We work very, very closely with them, um, very hands-on, um, supporting them, listening to them. Yeah, we do, and that's yeah. that's really that was the that was the Bailey's way when I worked in Bailey's. It's never left me. Yeah. So
0: work backwards from the customer.
1: Yes, I often describe it. You know, I've you know this whole project as you know it's a bit like a triathlon. You build the distillery, you make the product, and you sell it, but everything starts from selling you work back um, yeah. building and making is challenging but mm-hmm. selling is the hardest bit of all you know yeah. it's really really tough and you know it's all about you know having sales then you've got cash if you have got cash then you can sustain the business
0: yeah so you've got a, a volunteer there as your brand thanks ambassador in Norway so <laughs> thanks you, very much i <laughs> a definite fan so, obviously, gin was a huge success, probably a much bigger success than you ever anticipated, uh, if the truth be told. But yes. whiskey is is what the end game is, I suppose. What doors has it opened? Uh, and is there a, a notion of, I've had one really successful pro- product. Is there a lot of pressure now to follow it up with a hugely successful whiskey? Is it a constraint or an opportunity or how do you say it?
1: Oh, you mean half, when we bring, uh, yeah. So I think I understand what you're you're saying. So because shamma Powder was so successful, or is so successful, yeah, when you bring out the whiskey, it's like, it's a bit like opening, I felt uh, it's a bit like we were opening a new restaurant. So you yeah. have an existing one, now you open a new one, and you're yeah. going to be critiqued. So, yeah. yeah, it does put it does put a bit of pressure on you to make sure that you, um, you stay in tune and you don't move move off uh, off piste so yeah and it's good for you and so we we've been very careful and very considered and you know it was funny i was speaking to ali about six months before we released the um, ali alpine the our single pot still And he was he was remonstrating with me do not release it early you know make yeah. sure it's right and yeah. you know and it just was ringing in my ears and i was saying to brian taft we cannot do this until it's right and uh, yeah we waited, and we waited until we believed it was right.
0: Well, look, I mean, the attention to detail on the packaging alone, never mind. I think you, you have a bottle there, do you, in front of you?
1: We do, indeed, yeah.
0: You just happen to have one there. Yeah, I mean, the attention to detail on the packaging and the thought that's gone into it, uh, and the contents are superb, so you know, Thank I you. think you'd be more than proud of coming out with something like that. Um, I particularly like the brass ring around the around the cap yes yeah i thought that was a nice right. touch thank
1: really. you again to just, and it's got a beautiful cork
0: yeah so a real cork and what's the retailing now is it around the 70 80
1: um it's actually at 60, 60 euros which is very good value for one okay it's, yeah yeah, yeah the, the inaugural was up around the 80 because that yeah. was uh, the first uh but now we're we're in there around the 60 euros
0: and are you using much of the same distribution channel that you have established through gunpowder?
1: Pretty much in every case. Yes. Which, yeah. which is uh, helps enormously. Yeah. So that, yeah because uh, just in terms of the time and the effort, yeah, pretty much everybody is doing both.
0: Yeah. And, and what can we expect to see going forward in terms of your, uh, releases? Pat? You know, we have this pot still out now. Uh, obviously, I don't think you've probably been able to put the big push behind it that you would have liked, with everything that's going on. Uh, I presume, you know, March was when you were going to push this as a a main product, if you like. Uh, What are the plans now?
1: Well, our big the big restriction we have is the amount that we have. I mean, it's on allocation. Honestly, it's done extraordinarily well. So way better than we'd, we'd anticipated. We're completely out of stock at the moment, where we will oh, be buying, um, hopefully, um, later this week. So I think for the next six to 12 months, you know, it will be just seeding the brand, making sure whatever we do, we do it well. And we will be, you know, we would have more volume coming on, on stream, more stock coming on stream, yeah. 18 to 24 months from now, which will allow us to do more work and more expressions and more interesting things.
0: Yeah that's a nice comment there from Brendan from Cologne Distillery oh, nice. you know fair play to the contribution to County Leitrim is, as Thanks well very as
1: much, Brendan thank yeah.
0: you no i mean it, it it is a fantastic achievement for County Leitrim and the, the visitor center i really hope is, it's a big success and i know you're you're trying to build that into the hidden heartland uh, trail and some blue way walks and the Arigna yeah. Mine and the Carrigon Shannon and, and the River Shannon as well. Um, but obviously the restrictions do do have a, an impact. At the moment, you have in the line of 20 people working on that in the visitor center, is that right?
1: Yeah, between the the cafe, which is a significant employer, and, and the visitor's experience, yeah, it's close to 20, yeah, at the moment. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, it's, listen, we've had a very, very nice start. Opened last Thursday, and we'll see, you know, how long that'll be sustained, you know, into Christmas time. But it's it's very encouraging. Um, but we're very aware of the challenges of COVID, the challenges of the location in the winter time. But th- we're getting a lot of support locally, mm. and people who visited are really um, they're really excited about their visit, and uh, they're doing a, sharing a lot of stuff on social media. So hopefully that'll bring more people. Yeah, um, along.
0: Well, what's uh, what's unique about it, Pat? You know, what would be different to visiting Drumchambo as opposed to any other distillery? Well,
1: I suppose it's only when you go there that you probably I mean, you. It's, it's very hard to explain until you go. But yeah. I suppose the first thing I wanted to do, given our location and where we are and who we are, when they walked up to the distillery. Anybody walking up, I I would like them to say, "Wow, that is amazing. That's very interesting." And then, as they go through the experience and the tour, and a really authentic tour, that they would uh, come out the other side and say, "Wow, I really experienced something different and unique, and it was exciting, and it was that they're coming away with, with with a real feeling for our brands and how we do things and the quality of our spirit and the story behind our brands. That's what I'm hoping for, and that seems to be what's what's happening. Um, yeah. a beautiful glass house so there's but there's several elements to that the, the yeah
0: you, you tell us a, through what somebody's going to experience when they do go
1: there's a yeah, picture well, of it of,
0: on screen there
1: yeah well first of all it's a yeah there is when you arrive and you want to go on the tour you'll probably be booked in for your tour the tour itself is very unique you, you won't go on a tour probably like it anywhere in the world to be honest um, and i'm not going to give it all away, but basically it's a really interesting experience for about just under an hour covering whiskey and uh, drum shambles, gunpowder, Irish gin, and the opportunity to stand in front of the stills while they're working. Yeah. Um, we also have a, have a wonderful gift shop, um, really first class gift shop with all sorts of interesting things going on there. We have a wonderful bar called the Honey Badger Bar, which is in Glass House, um, right. And that's where you, you have a drink after the tour and and also another drink. a beautiful cafe called the Jackalope with wonderful local food, um, and it's just the whole atmosphere in the place and the feeling that you get when you're there when you're there is pretty yeah. special. And um, you just have to come and visit.
0: Yeah. If somebody does want to visit Pat, what's the best way to to book?
1: Online at the thesheddistillery dot com and uh, to book it online. That's the best way.
0: Yeah. And is there a lead time to, or anything uh, that they need to be aware of with the it, COVID? It,
1: it's it's pretty busy at the weekends, but I mean, it's it's all there. Um, and, and obviously everything's organized under COVID. So it's very strictly managed. Temperatures yeah. taken at the door and all that kind of stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And masks worn inside. So, yeah, we have a pretty good program. Um, and we're very conscious of COVID. And uh, so we're managing that. We have the fortune yeah. approved um, COVID uh, protocols in place.
0: Yeah, obviously very unfortunate with uh, with the COVID. I'm sure you had expectations in in the numbers that you were predicting. To um, what's it looking like, and, and what's what was your prediction? All going well.
1: Well, uh, well, we're late. Obviously, opening. I mean, part of the goal to open was to, you know, to demonstrate to. I suppose, to everybody locally and internationally that were committed to, to drum shambo And also, you know, to, for 2021 and 2022, that people would realize that, yeah, we are open. And we, you know, because particularly some of the tour operators and so on, until you open it, they won't consider you. Um, yes. So we've done all of that. To be honest, I'm pl- it's day by day at the yeah. moment. Um, great start, a lot of support. Community has really rallied behind the project and lovely flow of people uh, people really supporting it um, and we'll see where it goes and um, we'll, we'll you know, at the moment if it keeps going the way it is, we, we, we'll be okay yeah. and we'll get through all of this
0: What are the projections? I mean, last year we were talking about a, a million bottles of, of the gunpowder gin I think you have overall you're staying level or slightly going ahead uh, from last year's numbers
1: I mean, we will grow this year. Um, how much? Um, you know, probably, you know, five ten percent. But we will grow.
0: Yeah, that's um, fantastic. That's
1: just, it is fantastic against the backdrop that we're in. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, some markets will be down, but some will be up. But overall, we we will we will be we'll be we'll be ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a significant investment in in the visitor center that. Uh, and, you know, in terms of um, actually recouping that cost, yeah. long-term, you know, in the short term, certainly not. Long-term, maybe. But obviously, it's a huge brand-building exercise as well, isn't it? I mean, is that where the value is?
1: You're absolutely right, Sergio. I mean, when you build something like this, you, if you, again, you know, if I had big you know, investors looking over my shoulder, they probably would have said, Pat, what are you doing? You're crazy. Um, because you you know you never get you you may never get the return but I think it's very important for our brand it's very important to be able to show people Mm -hmm. where where it comes from um, the whole story behind the brand I think it will create a lot of energy and excitement in Ireland and internationally Um, it also shows that we're very much rooted in the community and we're not going anywhere Um, and it's it's a you know it's a big project if, uh, you know, it may not pay back for 20 years, so be it.
0: Yeah. Um, Matt Pibb is asking, are you going to release a second version to expand the range? I presume he's talking about the gin. Or are uh, you talking?
1: Well, if it's the gin, no, we've no plans to do that. Uh, but on the whiskey, yes, we do plan to bring out um, some new expressions, but not not for a while.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know you're you're on the chair of the drinks industry there. Um and you verge pretty close to the edge there in terms of uh, complicity with the uh, technical pile uh, is is that something that you see bringing out uh, ones that may not be compliant with the technical file in terms of post still? are you limited by that or are you yeah. going to stay within the realms of the technical pile
1: well we have we have um, done a number of mash bills small quantities that would be outside the technical file in terms of you know higher amount of oats and so on and so forth. So we wouldn't yeah. be allowed to call it single pot still today. Yeah. But maybe in the future we would be allowed yeah. to call it. Um you know I would I suppose I got in I only really got involved after the technical file was put to bed. I mean yes. you have to start somewhere with a technical file. There's no reason why that file can't be polished and modified into the future to represent yeah. you know um other points of view and I know there are other points of view uh some historical points of view that um people have and you know I I think that's a good you know I think it's healthy that people bring these things up and I'd certainly uh I'm open to um open to all ideas as long as you know it supports the overall health of the category you know into the future we don't do anything to undermine it
0: yeah what do you make actually of the Irish whiskey industry at the moment uh with all the distilleries, what's coming out, are you you happy with it? Or you think there's, um, some dodgy whiskeys coming out or some, you know, I
1: I think the, the only, the only area, listen, I think everybody in the industry pretty much, their bona fides are very good and some great people, you know, in the industry right now. I think probably the biggest risk is that people will be under pressure to release whiskey a little earlier than they would, they would like. in order to generate cash. And that's understandable. So, you know, the COVID thing doesn't help. Um, So, you know, um, I I can't comment on it because I I don't know. Um, But I suppose if you're looking at it from a, you know, looking from the outside in, you'd say it's very important that we try and keep the standard up as high as possible and people to hang in there as long as possible so the whiskey is ready.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember trying it around Christmas this, and I think I, 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 I really enjoyed. it. I think I gave a really nice review. And and the one thing that stuck out to me was, yeah, I really enjoy it. I'd love to try it with more oats as well, just to see. Yes. But I think that is something unique about this, though, is the oats element in it. Uh, it does come through, even if it's only five percent. It certainly does come through. And uh, looking forward to seeing what's going to come out in the future. Um, Pat, I. Uh, t- I know you've had a really long day. You know, uh, Thank you. Yes. I'm sure you've been kept busy. I don't know if you're commuting every day between Dublin and Leitrim. Oh, Probably not. But
1: um, Not every day, but I'm up there a big part of the time.
0: Yeah. If there's any, uh, because obviously you've been successful in business going, you know, in a number of different areas. So we, we mentioned that you're involved in pharmaceutical. You're, you're involved as director in uh, Walsh. You're, um, Dalcausian, and also the equestrian arena as well
1: with horseware, which I'm very proud of. Yeah,
0: horseware as well. So they're very different. Are there any common traits that you take between them and, and apply? So basically, what I'm asking is what are the key components, the key secrets to to business success?
1: The most important thing is, um, gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting because I'm involved to say I, I chair Oval. Uh, pharmaceuticals which is in the skincare business primarily yes based in dundalk and goes back to 1934 family run um but the one thing that's common to all the businesses at the end of the day is the consumer that pays your salary and you've got to listen to them and you've got to be in tune with them and you've got to try and get into the sweet spot with them so that you excite them and uh that they sufficiently that they want to buy your brand and they become loyal customers so to me that's number one two three and yeah. not to be not to be saying you know personal opinions are not relevant it's, it's the it's what's relevant it's what works at the at the consumer level that's what's really relevant that you know you're you're exciting your customers I think the yeah. other aspect is to build a great team around you yeah um, that in my case that team they don't have to be you know astronauts and you know highly highly they just need to have a great attitude yeah a good work ethic and then we can train them and then and get that energy going and um great things happen um yeah. and good karma good karma it's critical
0: you know i've heard you mention the karma a lot of times in a lot of different circles and i have to say i agree with you and um, it's something not necessarily tangible
1: and no, easy to recreate
0: but it is important i think
1: I, it, you don't want negative energy around the place, and people yeah. pulling pulling it down. And um, obviously, you know, you've got to deal with reality and all that kind of stuff. And you know, bad yeah. days as well. But you need a positive environment um, and good people with you, yeah. and then great things will happen.
0: Yeah, have to agree with that. Uh, one uh, one last question to let you go, Pat. Um, if somebody turned around tomorrow, a big corporate comes along big multinational and says, here's a hundred million for the shed. What's going to be yeah. our answer? You know, no. somebody that has, to... no, no, it's not. For...
1: I, I never did this for the money. Never started yeah. this. It's not about money. And, um, we're having, you know, we're enjoying it. We're building something very exciting. Um, and I'm working with intergenerational businesses out there. Um, you know, that's, you know, and uh, you know, my daughter's working in the business as well. So, you know, I'm hoping this business will go on for many years to come past yeah. me. Although I'm hoping to be around for a long time. <laughs> well,
0: well but, actually, uh, we haven't mentioned uh, we haven't mentioned your good wife as well, Denise, who I know has been Denise,
1: hugely heavily
0: involved in the, in the in the business. And yeah. are the rest of the family involved as well, or?
1: I have a daughter, Roshan, involved. Uh, you know, she's in college, but she helps out. But I have a great team. You know, and the visitor's experience was Eva Kelly. She's a, do- a daughter of Bill Kelly, and uh, Kelly's Russell Lair. She did an incredible job in putting all of that together. On yeah. the marketing side of Sean McGowan. I've,
0: there's you know, yourself and Denise now. I think it's not the oh, first gear you're filling in.
1: Cast. Yeah, fair juice. But we have a, just, a, just a marvelous team.
0: Yeah. And there's, is that you obtaining the ambassador role?
1: Yes, yes, from the Keherlock, that's Enda McGloin in in, uh, Leitrim County Council. So now I am a Leitrim. Yeah. I am an ambassador.
0: Honorary Honorary (laughs) Leitrim man. Yeah. Listen, Pat, it's been fantastic talking to you. And I I hope people got an insight of of what it is that you're about and obviously a bit of better understanding about the brand as well. Been hugely successful in multiple brands across different sectors. So, you know, these things don't happen by fluke, unless unless you're the most lucky man in the world. But, you know, I I know you attribute a bit to luck, um, but you've always been very encouraging, I think, to other companies starting up as well and always had some great advice. So um, thank you very much for for doing that. Uh, And thank you, I'm sure, certainly on behalf of the Leitrim people, I'm sure they're (laughs) they're as immensely proud of you as you are, I know of them so uh, this is just an example of what you know a grassroots project can do for a community and i have to applaud you for that and i should be very proud and um wish you the best success going forward
1: well thank you very much sergio you've been a great stalwart for the industry and to all the people listening and i know many of them are in the industry and i wish them all well it's a tough time for everybody we just all have to pull together and muscle muscle through the whole thing and um, thank you very much for the opportunity
0: no well, thank you and i'm sure we'll we'll be down to visit you very soon great stuff. and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and until then stay safe and say well and thank every you. success going forward
1: all the best god bless right. take care thank you bye-bye bye-bye
0: so that was uh pat i hope that gave you a good insight and uh, before you all rush off and uh, disappear i'm going to try and um announce the winner of this um uh, fabulous tealing renaissance 2 that we had a uh, running during the last couple of weeks uh it's the renaissance 2 it is the 18 year old single malt uh, and it's a fantastic addition to anybody's collection and, and fabulous to drink i've had a, a sample out of that so what i would ask is i'm going to pick a. Um, one of our listeners now to to pick a number between 2 and 495. So I'm going to, Shamini is there. Shamini, can you give us a number between 2 and 495? I have my my magical spreadsheet open, which I'll share. Um, And just to show transparency that we do actually uh, randomly pick a winner. So Shamini, are you there? No pressure. any number between two and four nine five and uh, what I do what I've done here in this spreadsheet is I've actually listed all the entries and I'm going to sort them by this random number and then whatever number shamini picks whatever row number will be the winner. So what do you got? one, one, three. One one three. Okay, so let me sort this first. So I'll sort it by the random number and go to row one 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 three, was it? One one three. There we go. Our winner is Ana Brady from Instagram. So congratulations to Aina. This lovely bottle of tealing renaissance release two will be on your way to you and uh hope you get to enjoy it so thank you to Teeling for that as well uh they've been great supporters of the show and everybody if anybody has any um questions about the show or who we're going to be having going forward we've got a very interesting guest again next week thank you all very much for joining if you've enjoyed the show please do subscribe to our youtube channel Uh, and the link will come up there shortly so stay safe hope you're all very well and look forward to talking to you next week good evening